Our scripture reading this morning, our Old Testament reading, is Daniel 7, 9 through 14. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. This is the word of our Lord. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And our New Testament text, Matthew 24, verses 32 through 51. Matthew 24, 32 through 51. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. 
But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together that he will bless it to us. Lord, in the beginning you said, let there be light, and there was light. And in the new creation we pray that you would also now, by the work of your Spirit, once again say, let there be light in our hearts. That the darkness of sin would flee away. And the light of the glory of the gospel of God and Jesus Christ would shine in our hearts and give us, O oh God, life and light and salvation. We pray that you yourself would speak to us by your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We had a frost this week, I'm sure you noticed. Um, good hard frost. And it was an early morning, and I went out because my wife had to leave pretty early uh, for an appointment, um, and there was frost all over the windshield. Uh, and I had not turned the car on in time to have it warmed up for her, so I had to dig around in the trunk for the windshield ice scraper, and it wasn't there. Looked around, dug around under the cars, you know, the seats in the car, couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and I, I knew the frost was coming. Of course, it always comes, right? So I should have had, I should have known where the, where the scraper was. I knew the forecast was. I knew what night it was going to happen. But I didn't bother to make sure I knew where it was. And um, it might be that uh, when the first big snowstorm hits, I'm still trying to find the snow shovel as well. Uh, I'm not very good all the time at being prepared, even when I know something's coming. Now, some of you might be that way. Some of you, um, some of you, that might not be you at all. You might, you might know exactly where it is, and it's exactly where it should be every time. Uh, and uh, and that is a gift. That is a gift that you have. Um, but however ready we are for natural things, or however not ready we are for natural things, none of us is very good at being ready for spiritual things. Being, being ready, being awake to and, and ready for the things of God is not something that comes naturally to us. We are all tempted to indulge spiritual laziness, to hit the snooze button. Uh, God, God calls us to something. He says, be ready, be awake, be sober-minded, be prepared, roll up your sleeves. But we hit the snooze button. Try to get a few more hours of rest. J.C. Ryle uh, wrote this. He said, tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is God's. Satan does not care how spiritual your intentions are or how holy your resolutions if only they are, are determined to be done tomorrow. And in our text this morning, our Lord Jesus calls us to repent of that and instead to wake up and to be ready and to be alert He's, he's calling us to, to be wide awake to his kingdom. We can be so wide awake and alert to other things, so busy and industrious with other things. But he calls us, brothers and sisters, to be wide awake to the all-important reality 
of His kingdom. And the fact that His kingdom is coming to know what time it is. And to be living in the light of the fact that His kingdom is coming. That His kingdom is the most important thing, the most important reality. And that it must dominate our lives to be wide awake to Him and His coming. This is what Christ calls us to in the text. He calls us to readiness. But why should we bother? Why should, we, why should we take the trouble to be spiritually wide awake and ready for His coming and watchful for His coming? Jesus lays out four reasons for us. Four reasons why we need to wake up and be alert to His coming. The first one is this. Verses 32 and 34, He tells us that He will return soon. It is going to be coming soon, so we need to be ready. Um, to illustrate His point, He directs our attention to a fig tree. Most Trees in Palestine keep their, their leaves year-round, but the fig tree, like our leaves, loses its leaves, and then in the spring, the leaves come back out again. And it's a sure sign that summer's on its way. Um, Jesus says, when you see the leaves on the fig tree, you know that summer's coming. It's a sure sign uh, of this thing, that it's just around, around the corner. And then Jesus says, verse 33, he says, So when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. What does he mean when he says, when you see all these things? What's he referring to? Um, he's referring to everything he's just been describing to his disciples about the last days. In the rest of chapter 24, which we've which we've already looked at. He means the destruction of the temple. He means the abomination of desolation. He means the false Christs and the false teachers, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famine, the, the, the plague, the persecution, all, all of it. He's saying when you see all these things, see it as, as, as the daffodil coming up in the spring that you say, oh, yep, summer's almost here. It'll be here soon. Here's the sign. It's at the very doors. And then he underlines this. Jesus does with verse 34. He says to us, Assuredly, I say to you. King James has it, the old, the old language. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, pay attention to this point. Don't miss this point. This generation will not pass away till all these things take place. This generation will by no means, will absolutely not pass away, he's saying, till all these things take place. Jesus says that all the things that need to happen before He comes again in judgment and glory and salvation will take place before this generation passes away. Wait a minute. How can he say that? He's speaking to his disciples, right? This generation. He's, he's speaking to them in the, the most straightforward way to understand what he means by this generation is the disciples he's talking to in your lifetimes. That's basically, right? That's what he's saying. Some people try to um, fix what Jesus is saying in a sense, or try, try to understand what he's saying by, by changing it to, or to understand generation as meaning all Christians, the generation of the church age, um, but that's not the plainest and most straightforward way to read this. What Jesus is saying is all things that are necessary to take place before he comes again will have happened within the first generation. 
did, did this come to pass? These, the, these things that Jesus said, have these all happened? Well, how, how do we understand this? In some ways, yes. Right? Think of the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That, that happens. Um, but, um, but there are other things that Christ speaks of here that, that sort of have happened, but not in the fullest extent yet. So how do we understand Christ's words? Well, we need to understand them with the, the, the lens that we've already been using, which is the already not yet lens. That what, what Christ is describing here um, has, a, has, a, has an already aspect to it and a not yet aspect to it. It has stuff in the foreground and stuff in the background. A helpful illustration might be um, D-Day and V-E Day in World War II. Um, if, you had, if you had been around in 1943 and you had made a prophecy that by July 1944, Germany would be defeated, would you have been correct? Well, yes, in a sense, because D-Day happened in 1944, and that was a decisive point in the war. And, and, and once that battle was won, you knew Germany was broken and they were fighting a losing battle, and they weren't going to win. They hadn't surrendered yet. It wasn't all over yet. But you knew they'd been defeated in a sense. It wasn't until a year later, 1945, that they completely surrendered. And even a few days after that, the fighting continued after the day of surrender. And so, yes, they'd been defeated. And yet there was a sense in which there was more to come. And so it is with, with, with what Christ is saying here. Uh, he's saying that before the first generation of the church dies out, all the decisive events that mark the end of the age will have happened. The great turning point of history will have come and will be on the last chapter of history. And there's only one more thing that needs to happen. And that is Christ's return. So starting with that first generation of the church, we're living on the doorstep of the final coming of Christ's kingdom. And so Christ could say to his disciples, the kingdom is at the door. And he can say it to us as well, without us knowing, well, it's going to be next year, ten years away. It's always true for the church. In every age of the church, the kingdom is knocking at the door. The judgment of Christ is about to come in. Jesus calls us to live with a powerful sense, a very, a very, a very strong sense that his kingdom is this close, do you see what he says? He says there in, in, in the text, he says, know that the day of judgment is near. When you, when you see all these things, know. Know it. Know that the day of judgment is near. Not just think that it's near, trust or believe it's near. Know it's near. Um, that is the command of Christ to you, brothers and sisters. That you would know that, that his kingdom is coming and that his judgment, his day of judgment is near. To have a, your mindset and your outlook on life shaped by the fact that the next main event scheduled on the calendar of history is the day of judgment. To, 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 to be, right, we're, we are to be like a bride counting down the days to the wedding, or like a kid counting down the days to Christmas. Um, with the expectation, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. 
and longing for it, straining and pressing forward towards it, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. That is to be the character and the flavor of our lives. He's coming soon. We are to know He's coming soon. But do you believe Him? Do you believe Him? Uh, Do you trust His Word on this? Not trusting His Word on this has a long history. It goes back all the way to the early church. People saying, well, Christ said He'd come soon, but we don't really believe He's coming soon. Um, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 Peter addresses this very same problem in the ancient church. He said, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's the first century of the church saying, where is he? He said he'd come. Where is he? And many people don't trust his word on it today, right? We hear predictions of the end of the world and they come and they go and nothing happens. Uh, And the ages roll on and and roll on and roll on and it seems like the promise is just not being kept and and the longer the church waits it seems that um, it just seems to to, to be a a longer and longer awkward silence waiting. When, Lord Jesus, you said you'd come. Where are you? You said you'd come soon. How can we be sure? Brothers and sisters, when you have that doubt, what do you do with it? This is what we see in our second point and the second reason that Jesus says we should be ready. And that is that he says his return is certain. Verse verse 35. Over against all the doubt and all the skeptics, Jesus says, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He's promised He will return. He Himself has said He will return. Will He break that promise? What does He say? He says, My words will never pass away. He's giving us there a firm foundation for our faith in this promise that He's coming soon. His, his, the foundation He gives us is, is my words. His words. His own promise. His word is sure for two reasons. First, because of who He is. He is God. He is truth itself. He cannot lie. He is the creator of the universe. He tells us here that His words are more solid and permanent than heaven and earth. More certain than the law of gravity, more certain and dependable than the fact that the sun will come up in the morning. His word, he's saying, those things will stop. Gravity will stop. The sun won't come up before my word fails. Because he's God. It's his word and his promise, and he cannot break it. He cannot. And then the second reason we can trust his word is because of what he has done. What has he done? He came and lived among us, suffered for our sins, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and then he ascended bodily into heaven. His disciples, the apostles, stood there on the hill and they watched his body rise into heaven and be taken away by a cloud. 
And they recorded it for us. And the angels there said to them, He'll come again the same way that He went. And so, everything is... Everything has, has already begun. This wonderful process of the coming of the kingdom and the new creation dawning has begun. And, and God is not going to stop that process. He's, he's, he's sent His Son. He's won our salvation. The Son has gone into glory. The Spirit's been poured out. All these things have happened. Is God not going to come through with a final act after He's already done all these other things? The coming of Christ his second coming, is really of a peace with His first coming. And so we can look at the fact that Christ came and be certain that He will come. So we can trust His Word. We can trust His promise for who He is and, and what He's done. And so, brothers and sisters, when you do feel the, the chill of doubt in the Word of Christ that He will come soon, turn your heart to His Word and His promise there is nothing outside of Him that can stop His promise. No force outside of Him. And there's nothing inside of Him that will change His mind. His Word is sure. And He will come again soon. These are the first two reasons Jesus gives us when to be ready, watchful for His kingdom. It will come soon. It is certain. Number three. Verses 36 through 44. Jesus tells us here that His return will be sudden and unexpected. Sudden and unexpected. Um, there is a long tradition of predicting the precise date of Christ's coming. Uh, I did a, as I was prepping for this, I did a quick, uh, just I looked up, Googled, you know, dates of Christ's return or something like that. You know, predictions that for when Christ will come back. And, and it's a rabbit hole. I mean, you can go down that and, and, and it will take you hours to read through all the predictions. And they go back all the way to about the 4th century of the church. All the way from then. And, and just about every single year, someone predicted. Um, and on and on they go. Most recently, famously, uh, Harold Camping, I think it was, back in uh, uh, 2011, <coughs> predicted the world would end on a very particular date. I did hear, uh, as, I was, as I was doing research on this, I did hear a prediction of 2026. Um, so... Uh, just keep that in mind. Um, what, what do we do with all this? Our Lord Jesus knew that we would have a desire to know His return. And, and, and to know, right, we're curious. Why don't we get the date? You know, the precise date. Wouldn't that be nice to know? Um, but, but He teaches us here that we're not supposed to know the date. It's not something that, it's not knowledge that we're privileged to have or that we should have. Um, it says in verse 36, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Some manuscripts add there, or the Son, the Christ, according to his humanity on earth, doesn't even know the date. That God didn't give this to the angels to know. He didn't even give it to his Son to know, to reveal to us. But this is something only God would know. Um, and we're not supposed to know. 
And Jesus says here that just as people didn't expect Noah's flood to come, so they won't expect Christ's judgment to come. That right up to the day that Noah's flood came, people were doing all the normal things people do. They were having breakfast, they were going to work, they were getting married, having children, etc., uh, etc. Et and, then, and then Noah's flood happened. Day like any other day, the flood hit. And so it will be with the Day of Judgment. He says there's going to be um, men will be working in the field, the women will be working in the house, and judgment will hit. Verse 42 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Be ready, verse 44, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If God didn't give this knowledge to Christ during His time on earth according to His humanity, do you think He would give it to you or to to some guy on the radio? Don't listen to those predictions. We're not supposed to know. It's actually harmful. It would be harmful for us to know. If God has kept it back, He's done so for our good. And he, and He wants us not to know exactly when Christ will come so that we learn readiness and watchfulness, so that every generation of the church would, would have a sense of that readiness and watchfulness. Jesus makes this point with, a, with an illustration. He says, if you knew that a thief was going to break into your house, and you knew the exact time when he would break into your house, you wouldn't worry about keeping watch any other time. You'd just worry about watching that particular time when the thief would come. And then you'd be able to stop him. Um, but if you only know a thief's coming, yeah, it, it's going to be tonight, but I don't know exactly what time, you'll be ready. You'll be watchful all the time for it. It's like a pop quiz. Any of you kids, they still do pop quizzes in school? Um, at Westminster, we had pop quizzes in one class. Um, it was an Old Testament class, and uh, we'd have a pop quiz over the Hebrew homework that we'd had. And we'd have to come in and be able to translate some of the Hebrew and, and, uh, and answer questions on it. And we, he's told us at the start of the semester, I'm going to give you pop quizzes. I'm not going to tell you when. Be ready. Do your homework. Always do the Hebrew homework. So that when you show up to class, and the quiz pops up. You already know it. What, what was he doing? He wanted us to be equipped and ready all the time. And so it is, right? That's God's purpose. He wants us to be ready and watchful because he is coming in judgment soon. But he doesn't want us to know exactly when. To keep us ready for him. The fourth reason Jesus tells us we need to be ready and watchful for his return is this. Verses 36 and 44, Jesus says his return will bring separation. So his return will be soon. His return will be certain. His return uh, will be sudden. And then fourth, his return will bring separation. Final, irrevocable separation. Jesus makes his point here. First of all, by highlighting his title as the Son of Man. If you have the text, you can see in verses 36 through 44 that he refers to himself as the Son of Man three times in these verses. Um, he calls himself Son of Man. And he talks about how the Son of Man is going to come in 
judgment. It's an important title in Matthew's Gospel, Son of Man. It's one Jesus uses often to refer to himself. And we've looked at it a bit before, but let me just uh, give a quick refresher here. The Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses um, and often instead of the title of Christ because it didn't have the same mis, uh, misunderstandings attached with it, the same baggage that people had with the word Christ. Um, and it's a title that comes from Daniel 7, which we read earlier. But let me read again, Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel's vision there is of one like a son of man, a human being, who is yet reigning with the ancient of days in glorious judgment over the whole world. The one who has this kingdom that is going to last forever and ever and will be over all things. And Jesus then uses this term, Son of Man, to refer to himself to highlight his glory and his authority and especially his glory as he comes the second time to bring his rule over all things and bring judgment on the earth. And then he tells us here, that his arrival as the Son of Man in glory to judge means separation. It means a separating of, of all people unto salvation on the one hand, unto judgment on the other. Um, he makes the comparison of his coming to Noah's flood. In, in the flood, Noah's, uh, Noah's flood, the world is divided, isn't it? There's this great dividing line drawn between the eight and the ark and the rest not. The, the righteous saved, separated out, and the rest judged. And it resulted in a final permanent separation for them. And, and Christ is saying that his judgment is going to bring a dividing line. And it will cut this line of separation that cannot be crossed between the righteous and the unrighteous. He's already spoken of this, our Lord has, in Matthew 13. Where he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus talks about it there, Matthew 13. He talks about it here in our text. And then at the end of chapter 25, he talks about this separation again. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. He's saying, when, when the Son of Man comes, he's going to pass the final verdict on every human life. And he's going to separate every human being into two camps. On the one hand, the righteous. On the other, the unrighteous. And once that day comes, there, there's no appeal, there's no 
second chance after that verdict has been passed. There's no reversal of that decision. Uh, Once he casts that final judgment, it's permanent and eternal. And you'll either spend eternity with him in glory and joy or apart from him under his wrath and hell. And those are the only two ends of all humanity. Are you ready for his decision on your life? For his verdict? If he were to come back today and, 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 and give that final verdict and that, that word which can never be changed, his sentence on you, are you, are you ready for his sentence? This is what Christ is calling us to, to be ready for the day of separation. To be ready by putting our faith in Him and, and, and not trusting ourselves and our righteousness, but His righteousness. So that we can have all confidence, not in us, but in Him when He comes. That the verdict will be, well done, good and faithful servant. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all these things, these four reasons, Jesus tells us to be ready for his coming. But what does this readiness look like? Practically, what does it look like to be living a life that is spiritually wide awake, to stop hitting the snooze button on the things of the kingdom and to wake up and to live sober-minded, aware that he's coming soon? What does it look like? That's where he tells us in verses 45 to 51 that readiness looks like faithful service. Faithful service. Jesus here gives us a picture of contrasts. He gives us the picture of someone who is not, uh, first of all, who is ready, and then the picture of someone who is, who is not ready. Verses 45 through 46, the picture of the one who's ready. He says this, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master may rule over his household, to give, him food and due se- give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. This is how Jesus says we are to be ready for, for his coming. It's wonderfully practical. Um, this is not a call to be a, a monk cloistered away, in, away from the hustle and bustle of life, spending your days in private contemplation and prayer. Um, when, when, when Jesus compares how we're to act to servants when the master is away, but we know he's coming back soon. If you've been left in charge of an estate for a while, and the master is away, and you know he's coming back any day, how should you treat the estate? With care and respect and take care of it and and watch over it, manage manage it well, manage the affairs well. And this is what our Lord Jesus is calling us to do, to be faithful in the work that he's given us to do. He says that he is our master, and he he has given us a role as stewards and servants in his house. And he's given us a calling. He's giving us jobs to do. And we are to do them. What does it mean to be a faithful, wise servant in Christ's house? It means that you love him and that you serve him and that you serve those in his kingdom and you serve your neighbors. 1 Peter 4, 7-11 puts it this way. Peter, perhaps meditating on these very words of Christ as he writes to the churches. 
He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, wide awake for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, so use it as good stewards of God's varied grace to serve one another. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So to be ready, to live a life of readiness and watchfulness for Christ's return, is to love one another earnestly and to show hospitality and to speak the words of truth of the gospel to each other. And whatever gift it is that the Spirit has equipped us with to serve the church, to use it for Him. This is the work that Christ wants to find us doing when He comes. Getting His house ready. That's what readiness for His return looks like. And then Jesus shows us the contrast, what not being ready looks like. Um, instead of a wise and faithful servant, now we see a wicked servant. This servant says, my master is delayed and begins to beat the other servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards. This servant is doing the exact opposite of his job. Instead of taking care of the house and managing it well, this servant is just exploiting his position for his own gain. He's glad the master's not there. It means more fun for him, more power for him right now. And he's taking advantage of that. And um, he thinks, well, later on, later on when, the, when, I, when I think the master might really be coming, then I'll get things straightened out and tidied up. Uh, but not right now. And this is the person who does not serve Christ. This is the person who keeps hitting the snooze button on spiritual alertness. Uh, this is the person who is not loving and serving and doing what Christ has called him to do. This is the person whose fundamental way of thinking about himself is not, I'm a servant of Christ, but I'm a servant of my own desires. This is the person who lives the way that they want to live. Um, this is the basic way that our culture tells us to live. Do what you want. Live the way you want to live. You're in charge, right? Um, but that's what Christ says is the wicked servant's lifestyle. The lifestyle that is um, all about serving myself and my desires, not serving Christ. Jesus says, die to yourself and be my servant. Live the way I have called you to live. Or when I come back, you will find no mercy. He gives quite the warning, brothers and sisters, verses 50 and 51. The master of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour he's not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him a portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Severe judgment, judgment without mercy. When Christ comes, if he finds you living for yourself and not for him in his kingdom, you will face his wrath. So, this is what Christ calls us to. Readiness for his coming. But if this is what he demands of us, brothers and sisters, how can any of us be saved? If he calls us to readiness by being good servants in his house, 
what confidence can we have of salvation? And if, how can we be sufficiently awake and ready and alert for His kingdom coming? Um, how many of us can actually honestly look at our lives and say, yes, I'm doing what He's called me to do the way I should. And when He comes, He's going to be really proud of my work. None of us can say that. We don't have it in us to be ready the way He calls us to be ready. Not, not in ourselves. And so the good news of the Gospel, brothers and sisters, is that even as Christ demands this of us, He Himself does it for us. And then He does it in us. Um, he Himself is the faithful, wise servant, isn't He? Who humbly submits Himself to do only and all that His Father has told Him to do. Jesus Himself says that He's a servant. He says the Son of Man, right, that glorious King, is a servant. Right in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. It's like the teacher sitting down to take the exam that all the students are flunking and then crediting His grade to them. That's what he does. The Son of Man, the King who will come in judgment, well, first he comes as a servant to be faithful and wise and to fulfill God's will and obey all that God has called him to do and to be obedient to the very point of death for our sakes so that he can give us a perfect record of righteousness as faithful, wise servants. And then he gives us, then he gives us his Spirit to equip us so that we can learn with halting steps sometimes, uh, but, but yes, learn readiness, watchfulness and wakefulness and faithful service in His kingdom. Loved ones, only Christ can ready you for His own return. So hold fast to Him. Let's pray. We thank You, O God, for our Savior, the One that You have provided. We long for His appearing. We pray that you would equip us by his spirit for readiness and faithful service to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.